Hey Globe Church! Today's reading is Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. And now Psalm 43. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are my God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, my God. It's a fairly well-known verse of the Bible, that one, isn't it? I always think it seems to crop up all the time on uh, Bible calendars. You know, you, you hang it on your wall, you flip over to the month of April and there's a lovely photo of a country scene with some hills and some woods and a, a stream gently trickling down through the middle. And then at the bottom, there's the caption. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, my God. It's a lovely image, isn't it? A cute little deer, little Bambi. He's desperate for a drink on a hot day. All morning, he's been dashing around, running out onto the dual carriageway, terrorising motorists. And now he's looking for a chance to rest and refresh. He's trying to find a stream where he can sit down and have a drink. It's a cute image. I think it's easy to let the cuteness of the image shape our understanding of what the psalmist is feeling as he writes. We might end up interpreting it along the lines of, oh God, you're so wonderful. I want to know you more deeply. And of course, that is not at all a wrong thing to feel towards God, but I don't think that's what the psalmist is going for here. You know, thirst is not a nice, cute experience, is it? 
if you've ever watched uh, David Attenborough tracking a herd of elephants through Africa in the dry season, you will know that thirst is a matter of life or death. The cameraman knows that, he keeps panning from the little baby elephant in the shade over to a pile of bones a hundred metres away. For the elephants, the longer the search goes on, the more desperate it becomes, because if they don't find water, they're going to die. I think that's the image that Psalmist is going for. He's desperately longing for God, because his experience right now is not that God is close and good and wonderful. His experience is that God is far away. He's longing for God, longing to meet with God. But his longing is currently unsatisfied. And as we look through this psalm together, we're going to see that this is a psalm for the times when God feels far away. It's a psalm that I found uh, really relatable over the last few months of lockdown as everything's felt a little bit more disconnected than usual. But actually, the overriding message of the psalm is not one of despair, it's one of hope, that even when God feels absent, we have a certain hope to cling on to. Even though they're split into two in our Bibles, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 belong together as one. And you might have noticed the repeated refrain which links them both together, which comes three times. As well as linking them together, it also splits the whole thing into three sections. And in each one of those sections, we find the psalmist looking in a different direction. Firstly, he looks backwards to the past, then he looks around at the present, and then he looks forward to the future. So firstly, in Psalm 42, verses 1 to 5, we find the psalmist looking back. And as he looks back, he's longing for better times. We've already had a look at that longing that he's expressed in the opening couple of verses. It's like he's desperately thirsty, but finding no water to quench his thirst. My soul thirsts. God. Notice the emphasis on how continuous his struggle is. Day and night he's crying tears of desperation in verse 3. He's continually longing for God but continually being left dissatisfied. All day long the people around him are asking taunting questions. His appetite is constantly for God but he feeds only on tears. God where are you? When will I meet with you again? He doesn't tell us the exact nature of his circumstances. Those aren't really the focus. There's hints that he's facing some kind of trial. But really the thing that's driving him to tears is that God feels far away. That's what's weighing him down. In verse 4, we find him looking back to better times. He looks back to the way things used to be. He remembers the joy and the loud praise and the great crowd as he went to worship God with his people in Jerusalem. He remembers the excitement of worshipping God and drawing near to him. And looking ahead at verse 6, we know that now he finds himself in the far north of the country. So he's, he's a very long way from Jerusalem. But that physical geographical distance is coupled with a sense of spiritual distance. Where once... He knew joy and fullness. 
Now he's downcast and empty. And this comparison with the past is making him feel even more desperate. Things used to be so good. He used to know God so close. But now we can feel the despair of his soul as he writes, God, where are you? Why can't I feel you close like I used to? I think in lots of ways, our current restrictions put us in a similar physical situation to the psalmist, don't they? Just like him, we are not able to join with God's people or to worship together. Even right now, as we watch church in our own homes, it's easy, it's so easy to feel disconnected from God. We remember how we used to go to church on a Sunday. We used to sing loudly together and pray together and read the Bible together and eat and chat and laugh and be encouraged together. Now we're far away. Many of us feel isolated and cut off. I know that for myself over the last few months, Sundays have often felt the most heavy and frustrating day of lockdown. It weighs us down. Just like the psalmist, it's easy to feel far from the place of joyful worship. Perhaps it's not just lockdown for you. Perhaps you are in a season of life where God just doesn't seem as close or as present as he used to. Maybe there's a particular time you look back to when you really remember the joy and fullness of walking with God. Perhaps you find yourself asking, like the psalmist, why isn't it like that anymore? How can I get back to that? How long will this dry season last before my thirst is quenched? How does the psalmist respond to those feelings? Look at verse five. This is that refrain which comes three times in the psalm. And each successive one adds a little bit more depth to its meaning. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Generally, if we see someone in the street talking to themselves, we take it as a sign of one of two things. Either it's that they're mad, or it's that they've got earpods in and they're on the phone to someone. But here, the psalmist starts talking to himself and he's not mad and neither is he on the phone. Instead, he's talking to himself in order to break out of that cycle of despairing thoughts. Naturally, he'll just keep on spiraling. He knows he'll get stuck in this place of nostalgia and heaviness. And so he deliberately interrupts. Even though it goes against everything he's feeling, he tells himself, come on, my soul. Hope in God. There is hope in God. Even though God feels absent, even though he's looking back and longing for those better days of the past, he knows that he can find hope in God. He knows that in the end, God will prove faithful. His longing will be satisfied. He's confident of the future. His hope is in the future, not in the past. He can keep going because he knows that in time, this season will pass. God will work out his salvation, his saviour, his God. 
And if you right now are in that place of longing, then you can have that same hope. Even if right now, watching me speak to you through your screen on your sofa, you feel disconnected from God and his people. Even if you're just longing to hear his voice like you did in times in the past, then keep going. In him, you can have confidence. We can let the certainty of our future interrupt the frustration that we feel. You know, our hope is not that we'll somehow find a way to get back to the way things used to be, but that we'll make it on, we'll make it home to what is to come. In some sense, yes, as the seasons of life come and go, we expect that we will enjoy times of closeness with God again. But beyond that, we look forwards, not backwards, to the day when we are finally together with God and all his people in the new Jerusalem, working Worshipping, sorry, in fullness and in joy like we've never known before. What is to come eclipses anything that we've known before. So hope in God, my soul, for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Even when God feels absent, there is a certain hope to look to. And next, in verses 6 to 11 of Psalm 42, the psalmist turns his attention away from the past and looks afresh at his current, present circumstances. And as he looks around at the present, his soul is wrestling. He's wrestling with the reality of his situation. On the one hand, he makes a commitment to remember God. Even though he's far away from where he longs to be, he chooses to remember. But on the other hand, his situation is still ongoing and it's still painful. So as he looks around, he sees both of those things and he's wrestling with the two sides. Look at verse seven. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. His circumstances are stormy. Again, he doesn't get specific, but I think it's fairly safe to say that the psalmist is facing some kind of trial. He feels like a little boat being thrown around on a rough, raging sea. The waves are crashing over him. But actually, as he commits to remember, he sees the hand of God at work. These are your waterfalls, your waves and breakers which are sweeping over me God I'm in your hands the trials he's experiencing are like a deep ocean but so is God's infinite control there is a depth to his trials which he cannot overcome but there is a depth to God's sovereignty and control which he cannot fathom There is more going on here than he realised before. And as he looks at his situation, he sees that God is in control of the waves and the storm. And remembering that truth brings the psalmist a measure of peace. Remember how earlier on he described how continually day and night he knew only tears and continually all day long those around him taunted him. 
But now, day and night, he remembers that God is with him. In verse 8, his love is with me. His song is with me. He's the God of my life. And turning his soul to fix upon the truth about God brings real peace. But on the other hand, though it, though it brings peace, remembering the truth about God does not immediately bring any change in the psalmist's circumstances. And so in verses 9 and 10, we see that he still very much is feeling the pain of his trials. And in the moment of his pain, he cries out because it feels as if God has totally forgotten him. Because nothing seems to be changing. It doesn't seem like God is sovereign. It doesn't seem like God is with him or like God cares for him. He's longing for God because he, he's longing for God to intervene. God, why aren't you doing something? Have you forgotten me here in this situation? Again, I just think that wrestling is relatable, isn't it? We know what it is like to wrestle with those two sets of truths. On the one hand, we hold on to the things we know about God. We know that he's good and sovereign and that he cares about us. But on the other hand, of the day-to-day -day trials which we experience, we get frustrated and hurt and we face situations that just don't seem to change day after day after day. We know that God is good and that he's in control, but sometimes we just find ourselves longing for him to do something. God, why aren't you doing something? Have you forgotten me here? How do we respond in those moments? Well, first, I think it's worth noting that the psalmist is not afraid to bring his honest questions to God. Sometimes we might think that asking questions like that is a, an expression of doubt. But actually, I think our honest questions are an expression of faith. It's precisely because we believe that God is good and sovereign that we cry out to him things like, where are you? If we thought he was powerless or that he didn't care or even that he wasn't real, we wouldn't bother but because we believe that he is God, our loving father, our powerful king, we cry out to him in honesty. But again, while God feels far away, while nothing seems to change, in the middle of his longing for God to intervene, the psalmist starts talking to himself. He repeats those same few lines. He interrupts his natural thought pattern. Come on, my soul. Put your hope in the Lord. He's not seeing the change which he longs for. But that doesn't mean that there's no hope. Even though God feels absent, even though he's longing for his circumstances to change, he knows that there is hope in God. And hope does not lie in our present circumstances being easy or in all our pain being taken away. The psalmist knows that if he puts all his hope in his problems being solved in the present, he will inevitably be disappointed. And so will we if we do the same, because that's not what God has promised to us. And so the psalmist turns his eyes away from the present and he looks to God. Come on, my soul, put your hope in God. And if you're in this place of wrestling, caught between who you know God to be and the reality of your circumstances, you need to know that your hope is not found in everything being put right here. 
Again, while the seasons of life come and go, and some of our trials will be resolved in time, this world will be painful to the very end. And so our hope is in God and in the future which is secure in him. Let hoping interrupt your wrestling by looking to that certain future and you will find the strength in God to just keep going. Even when God feels absent, there is a certain hope to look to that he will bring us safely through each storm and that there is a future where our wrestling and our pain are finished completely once and for all. In the third section in Psalm 43, we see the psalmist looking ahead. We've seen him looking back, longing for better times. We've seen him looking around and wrestling with his present circumstances. And now he's looking ahead and he's waiting. In the first couple of verses of Psalm 43, he places a particular focus on his enemies. You'll probably have noticed that the taunts of his enemies have been a constant feature throughout the psalm. Now his plea to God here in verse 1 is, vindicate me. To vindicate someone means to prove them to be innocent or prove them to be right. And all along, the psalmist has endeavoured to keep hoping and keep trusting in God while others have taunted him. And so now he's looking to the day when he'll be proved right. He looks to the day when his enemies see that he was right to keep trusting and keep hoping in God. He knows that God is on the side of the righteous and the faithful and that God opposes the wicked. And so he has confidence that in time, the truth will be made clear. God and his people will be victorious. He will be vindicated. And yet while he knows that that day is coming, in verse 2 we see that the short-term reality is that his enemies' taunts are still very real. God, why haven't you done something? It feels as if you've rejected me. It feels as if you're actually on their side. They're doing well. I'm struggling. Why have you rejected me? Why must I still go about being oppressed? Once again, he's longing for God to show himself and to intervene. He's caught between what he knows is coming and where he is right now. Again, I, I think this is really relatable. There are plenty of times, aren't there, where we long for God to right the wrongs of this world. On a global scale, we see injustice. We see suffering. We long for God to do something. God, don't you care? Maybe on a personal level, you face the opposition of individuals in your life. Perhaps there are those who mock your faith or those who go out of their way to make things difficult for you. Often in our society, Christians are made to feel guilty or stupid for trusting God and trusting in what he says. And so we cry out, God, how long until you vindicate us? How long before you show us that we were right to trust you? We long for him to act. Or maybe for you, the enemy is less visible. Maybe the enemy you feel most keenly <clears throat> is the one who whispers quietly 
to sow seeds of distrust in your soul. The one who tries to feed you lies and drag you away from the truth. The psalmist writes in verse 1, Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. And we know that there really is a wicked opponent who loves to deceive us. In the times when we are left longing for God, we feel the devil's taunts. Perhaps you're not spending enough time with God. And that's why you feel far from him. Perhaps you just need to read your Bible more, pray more. Perhaps it's because you still keep on sinning. Maybe God's waiting for you to clean yourself up before he'll allow you to come near to him. Maybe God just isn't as interested and excited about you as he is about some of the other Christians you know. They're lies. They're lies that he feeds to us. He's a master of deceit. He weighs us down. We know that if we keep trusting, the day of vindication will come. If we keep on going, keep on hoping, the day of vindication will come. Right now, we still feel the pain that our enemies cause us. Even though God feels absent, even though he's still waiting, the psalmist knows that there is hope. And as we reach the last verses of the psalm, he traces that hope right back to its source. His hope is in God for a secure future, and his hope is in God to bring him safely to that future. Throughout the psalm, we've seen his longing. We felt his longing as he's written. Now look at this final request he brings to God from verse 3 of of Psalm 43. Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain. No, more than that. Let them bring me to the place where you dwell. No, closer still, not just to where you dwell. I'll go to the very altar of God. In fact, I'll go to God himself, my joy and my delight, and I will praise you, O God, my God. Then my longing for you will finally be satisfied. These verses at the very end of the psalm balance out the two at the very start. God, my longing will be satisfied. If you lead me on, then I am secure. My hope is in you. And then one final time comes the refrain. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, my saviour and my God. This time, those words come not from a place of desperation, but a place of confidence. In God, The future is secure and I am secure because he will get me there. When the times aren't as good as they used to be, I hope in him. When I'm just longing for God to intervene in my circumstances, I hope in him. And while I'm waiting for the future which he's promised, I hope in him. If you feel the reality of this psalm, if you if you resonate with that longing for God, you can have confidence. God has not forgotten you. He's not rejected you. Let hope interrupt 
we have great reason to be confident. I mean, just like the psalmist, we trust God's promises because he's faithful to his word. But actually we have even more than that because the fulfillment of those promises has already been secured. Our future is already secured. Jesus has already done everything to restore us to closeness with God. He's already done everything that was needed to bring us a life free from the curse of sin and pain and trials. Jesus has already silenced and utterly defeated our great enemy. He's paid the price to buy all of those things. He's bought them for us and he will not fail to bring us to enjoy them. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in what he will do, but it is absolutely secured in what he's already done. So we can have utter confidence that he will not fail. Even when God feels absent, we have a certain hope to look to. Even in the times he feels far away, the times of longing, let hope interrupt. Turn your attention again to Jesus. In him, your future is utterly secure. God's given us a whole bunch of things to help us hold to that hope. He's given us his spirit, which lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us and works in us to turn our eyes to that great hope which we have. And so as we go on through life as Christians, hoping in God becomes more instinctive. As he trans- transforms us, it becomes more instinctive. And so it's something to pray for. God, change me. Help me to hope more completely and more constantly in the future that's secured for me in Jesus. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word, the Bible. Sometimes we just just don't know where to start in speaking the truth to ourselves. It feels like we don't have the words or we, we just can't grab hold of our hope. But while the seasons of life chop and change, come and go, we have a book of solid truth that never changes. Every day of your life, these words do not change. Our eternal, secure, wonderful hope is laid out for us in this book. In the moments of despair, it's a pretty good place to start. God's also given us his people. This is something we can help each other with. We ought to be bold in speaking the truth into each other's lives. Obviously, there's a need for kindness. We have to acknowledge that we're not going to be able to take people's pain away or provide instant solutions to the things they're going through. But as we gently keep on pointing each other to our great hope, we help each other to keep on going. So be a part of this community. Be someone who speaks the truth into the lives of others at this church. And trust others to speak the truth into your life when you need it. Praise the Lord for the incredible hope that we have, utterly secure in him. No matter where this life takes us, in him the future is secure. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Help us to fix our hope in you. 
Help us to remember the future that's coming. We praise you for what you've secured for us. We praise you that even amongst the questions and the longings of the present, you've told us where we're going and you've promised to get us there. May we be a people of hope. In Jesus' name.